Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Request for Explanation podcast. Today, we've got me, Carol Nichols. Me, Manish. Special guest, Taylor Kramer, uh, Kramer TJ. And me, Alexi. And today, we're going to be discussing RFC 2071, Add Infiltrate Type Alias and Variable Declarations. Taylor, could you please give us a little introduction of yourself and an introduction to your RFC? Yeah, so as everybody, I said, uh, I'm Taylor, uh, Kramer TJ on GitHub and IRC, and Kramer T on Reddit. Um, and I uh, have been using Rust for, let's see, since the beginning of 2016, so not super long. Um, and I have recently uh, been involved on the Lang team as a Lang team shepherd, so I've been working to try and get um, some of the RFCs sort of cleaned up and put in a shape where we can merge them and get some of these core issues and initiatives that we've had this year pushed through. So one of those big initiatives is Impultrate and making Impultrate usable in more places. Um, and that's sort of the core focus of my RFC. Okay, so that makes me want to stop and say, can you summarize what Impultrate is, please? Yeah, so Impultrate is a way to talk about types that you don't necessarily know what the concrete type is, but you know uh, an interface that it implements. So think about in Java, if you have a, a function or a method which returns an interface, so you say like return list of integer rather than array list of integer, you're returning um, an, an interface, sort of a promise to your consumer rather than returning some concrete specific type. So. The, the way that we do that in Rust is we say that uh, you, you return an infiltrate, a type which isn't revealed to the user of your library, but which is guaranteed to implement some given trait. This is really, really useful, especially when working with types that aren't traditionally nameable, like closure types or those really, really long combinator types that you get out of iterator libraries or the futures libraries, uh, which can be a real pain to work with and are really, really hard to write down or impossible to write down if they contain a closure. So with Infiltrate, you can just return them as a future of, uh, you know, an impl future or an impl iterator or an impl fn, so. And where can, can we use this today? So today, the, there's a version of the feature called Conservative Infiltrate, which is uh, available only on Nightly and allows you to return um, return infiltrate types from inherent, uh, or sorry, just it returns lets you return them from uh, normal functions. So just freestanding functions, you can write infiltrate, uh, and that'll allow you to to pass around these types which are anonymized. Um, what we want to be able to expand it to and what this RFC tries to do is it tries to let you return infiltrate types from uh, trait methods and inherent method impulse um, and, and just sort of more general, generally give names to types that are returned as infiltrate. Uh, one of the big issues right now is that you can't do things like place bounds on infiltrate types and you can't name them and you can't work with like an associated type of an infiltrate type. Um, because you can't specifically name the type that is being infiltrated. Yeah, so uh, a really good example is, um, so say I wanted to implement an iterator and the items it yields are closures. Uh, currently there's, so 
the, you, you have the problem of you need to write type item equals something. Uh, mm -hmm. And for closures, you can't name those. So the idea is, oh, well, we have a simple trait thing for doing this. Let's make it so you can write type item equals simple uh, fun. And then in your next impl, you can use that same type alias. And the compiler knows, oh, hey, you have a type alias. So now I know that all of these different instances of impl trait are actually the same type. Because without that, if you had two functions that returned impl trait, the compiler is like, well, OK, those are completely separate functions. They can return different closures or different uh, iterators. So I can't say those are the same type. But with type aliases, you can actually properly say, hey, these are, I'm not going to tell you what this type is, but it's the same in these two places. Right, exactly. You're able to, to say, hey, I'm not revealing the concrete type of, of that infiltrate type, but I'm able to refer to the same type in multiple places under an alias. What's, what are the implications of such a feature? So this feature uh, is really, really significant if you're familiar with working, trying to use closures or iterator combinators or futures from, from traits like such as Tokyo's service trait um, or, or just some other trait or, or function that you're trying to implement. Uh, a lot of times it's hard to pass these types around and work with them. Uh, and and this RFC would make it easier or even possible to return uh, these types from trait methods and to work with them inside of um, generic contexts. I guess this will also improve documentation and error messages for complex types. Yeah, so that's another big advantage of infiltrate is that when you're working with uh, an infiltrate type, since you don't know its concrete type, all the error messages show up with in relation to the infiltrated type. So rather than seeing like, you know, no method foo on uh, and then of map of filter of, you know, and, and then this huge closure type, uh, now you just see no method foo on impl iterator or no method foo on whatever type alias that you've defined. I think one case where that becomes really important is like, when you're doing a lot of things with iterators, so then you mm -hmm. have some map of filter of drain or something, and right. now you have this complicated type, and you actually don't know what it's an iterator of. Is it an iterator of an integer, a reference to an integer, a reference to a reference to a reference to an integer? Then, like, let's say you want to zip it with another iterator, then you have to like spend time staring at the documentation, or just add stars and ampersands and conversion functions and from and into until you get there. And this takes mm -hmm. a while, and this is just annoying. And if it like, I mean, if you could get it to show infiltrate in various places, which I guess if you start do it using this in your code, it would happen. You get a better idea that oh, all this is doing is returning an iterator of a over a, a reference or whatever. Right. This this is actually one of my first things that I ran into when when working with Rust is I saw oh hey I have all these cool iterator combinators and things that I can write so I can take you know my vector. Um, that I took in from a file and then map it and filter it and do all this other stuff. Um, and then I went, hey, this is becoming sort of big. And then I went to move it into a function and I got stuck because it's impossible to return those types because you can't name closures. So then I found all this advice online about I have to stick it in a box and then that's like, 
or, or causes an allocation and may, might be bad for performance at runtime and all this other stuff. Uh, and I went, hey, that, that doesn't sound good. I, why don't I just stick it back in my function? So I wonder if it's just a bunch of messy code. <laughs> um, so I think this is one thing that now we have a really easy answer to that question, which is just you can return an impl iterator, which is just some type that implements the iterator interface. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Um, are there any downsides to this, to what you're proposing? Like, it seems like this is going to affect uh, inference or maybe monomorphization or the code size or compile times or any of those things. Should we be concerned about those things? Um, so, sorry, that was a lot of things to yeah, tackle. I'll try and go. I don't, I don't even know <laughs> if this affects any of these. These are just. Oh no, it definitely does. So, so that's so you brought up some some good good points, which are that a lot of things previously um, where you when you're working with um, trait objects, which is what you have when you have like a box of iterator or you know a reference to iterator that's not um, that that's not ex an explicit type. Um, when you're working with those types, you only monomorphize a function once, right? Unless uh, because it's just a vtable lookup for the methods rather than having to generate separate copies of each function. Um, so one thing that will happen is if you're using infiltrate very verbosely um, and, and in a lot of places over your code, it does have the potential to uh, increase code generation for those spots where you could have used trait objects if you're instantiating it with multiple different types. Um, the sort of counterpoint to that is that it also allows you to reduce code size because it allows more things to be inlined potentially because you, you're able to introspect all those different functions and say, hey, this is, um, um, I see that this method is really only being used once for this type, so I'm just going to combine those functions and into, one, into one location. Um, another thing that's, that's interesting that's a potential downside is that in order to um, and the thing that's gotten brought up a, a bunch on the RFC is that in order to determine the concrete type of these type aliases, you have to do a limited form of module or trade or function local inference, uh, which doesn't currently exist in Rust. So what this means is that when you declare, you know, type foo equals infiltrate, which is the syntax for, for creating a new type alias to an infiltrate type, um, the concrete type of foo has to be inferred from somewhere else in your code. So currently in Rust, uh, you only have inference that's local to function bodies. If you declare things that are outside of function bodies, such as consts or statics, they no longer they don't have inference in any way. Um, so what what we have to do in order to actually be able to determine the concrete type of your infiltrate type aliases is we have to look at all of the the functions and the different items that appear in the module and then and then determine from those the type of the infiltrate type. Alexi, was this was this the part of the RFC that was making your brain scream? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. So the RFC has this really wacky example where you say type foo equals a tuple of impl display, impl display. So two impl displays, and then you have three functions. Uh, the first function 
does not know what either of those types are. The second function knows what the first one is and is like the one who defines what it is. And then the third function knows what the second one is and defines what that one is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's, and, and in a former version of the RFC, it got even, there were even more complicated uh, situations that you could have where one function, for example, created a VEC, but it didn't know what the type of VEC it was. It didn't know what the like VEC of T, it didn't know what T was, but another function could return like a VEC of I32 and those would, you would, would unify it type checking so that it knew, okay, and that function needs to create a VEC of I32. This is actually how normal Rust works, right? If you were to write, you know, let X, you let mute X equal uh, VEC new and then say, you know, X dot push of five, it would infer your VEC to be of a VEC of I32. But in Rust, the way it works right now um, is that the, or the way that my RFC proposes is currently is for, um, for a type of unidirectional inference where each function has to fully determine the A type and infiltrate type um, or place no constraints on it at all. So you can't say that, like, this is a VEC, but I don't know anything else about it. Or this is a thing that implements iterator, but I don't know anything else about it. You have to either say um, that a given infiltrate type is, um, you know, I32 or VEC of I32, or you have to say nothing about it at all. Yeah, so th this ends up making the inference problem a lot more constrained and reasonable. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. the thing that decides what type an infiltrate is has to be in the same module of the alias, right? Correct. So the the current RFC says that whatever, um, it, when you declare an infiltrate type alias, something that appears in the same scope has to determine the type of that infiltrate type. So usually that's a module, uh, which is what you brought up. So that's it. If at root level in your module you said, you know, type foo equals infiltrate, then you have to have a function or something, you know, a const or static or something else in that body that um, the compiler can use to determine the concrete type of foo. However, if you're inside of a trait uh, implementation and you specify one of your associated types as type foo equals infiltrate, then it has to be determined within the trait implementation. So any of um, any of the actual trait functions or consts uh, are able to, to determine the, the concrete type of foo. So, so why, why restrict it to modules? Why not have global inference? <laughs> so <laughs> this, is, this is actually something that comes up a lot. And, and there are some languages which take a, a more global approach to inference than Rust does. Um, but in general, I think it's really, really valuable when reading and writing code to be able to keep reasoning local um, and and you basically want to think about how you can minimize the amount of code that you have to keep in your head at any one time and having, you know, a change in one file in one part of your code base, um, a small change there, completely, you know, change how inference works 
uh, in some other part of your code base, possibly without even producing a compile error. It might just cause it to do something different. That's generally bad. We don't like that. <laughs> so when we're trying to avoid those sorts of things, it's really helpful to expose clear boundaries at um, the module level or the function level or the trait impl level. Um, those are all places where it's really easy to see, hey, here's the contract that I'm exposing to the outside world, and, and take that as an opportunity to concretely reason about your code. Yeah, so probably the most notable example where global inference happens, at least that I know of, is Haskell, uh, where by default, if you just don't put any decoration on your functions, they're totally inferred. Um, and I think, I think uh, like, who, functions that call you can determine what the types of the things inside of you are, um, is like how global the inference is. Um, and because this ends up being not the most pleasant, uh, I believe the Haskell community has a general like um, best practices of you always put a type annotation on your functions, or at least your public functions, uh, just to like keep this reasonable. Right, that, that's exactly right. So the, those sorts of really hard to reason about interactions between all the different types that, that exist in your code base are what we're trying to avoid. So keeping inference at a module local level or a impl local level uh, makes it a lot easier to reason about. There's also something to be noted, which is that like um, people have different sort of definitions of inference, um, but one the the definition that I'm using and the, and the the version that's used inside of the RFC um, and specified inside the RFC is is directional. So as I mentioned, it's it's one way. So I can write um, I'll write my function body, which determines the type of my infiltrate type alias, um, but I can't have code or other effects, other things in the body of my function determined by the type of my infiltrate type alias. It's it's unidirectional. So I can't have I can't have a function body which you know does some something different at type checking time because of what some other function has has declared. Do you foresee that like causing limitations in the system, or do you think that? What most of what should be expressible will still be expressible, even if it's not fully circular, global, whatever you call it. Yeah. So, as far as I'm concerned, I think that allows you to express 99.95% uh, of what you'd want to write. Uh, however, it does make some things less ergonomic. So, one of those things is the sort of vec case that I was talking about. Is now, you know, if you have a function that just wants to return vec new, and it knows, and you know in your head that your um, your type alias is a vec of i32, and the compiler could maybe determine that from looking at some other piece of code. It doesn't matter. You still have to write, you know, vec of i32 new, um, and that's a that's a constraint that that causes and that you have to live with. So there definitely are places where it could be um, more ergonomic to do a a higher level of inference, and that's something that we're definitely interested in exploring in the future. Um, but usually, it won't limit the expressiveness of your code. Uh, the one counterexample of this, obviously, is when working with types that are impossible to name, such as closures or iterator combinators. Those types you can only work, you're, you'll only be able to work with as their concrete type inside of the um, inside of the body in which they've been defined. 
because you can't say like in another function you you're not able to to make a concrete statement about the type of that infiltrate type so that you can use it in a more specific way. Will this uh, let me implement traits on closures? Will this let you implement traits on closures? Yes. No, you will not be able to implement well, I mean in the sense that you already can implement traits on closures then yes. Wait, how can you already implement traits on closures? Uh, you can't. <laughs> uh, so you can, yeah, you can write a blanket impl for everything that impl's fn or one of the fn traits, right? <laughs> so, because... Uh, oh, man, that'd be yeah. such a bad idea. Wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, there, there are things that you can do. <laughs> but no, that's, that's not something that this RFC is aimed at. Because the next logical step is then you can serialize closures. And that would be awesome. <laughs> that would what be does awesome. That mean? I don't <laughs> we, execution vulnerability so, for everyone. I mean <laughs> lists can do it. just structs, so what do you mean serialize? Well, right now you can't implement a trait on a closure because you can't name the closure to implement a trait on it. Right. So, so if you mean if you mean implementing a trait for a specific closure, that's sorry. I, I think I misunderstood what you were saying earlier. I was thinking you were saying like for all closures. Um, no. If if your goal is to implement a trait for a specific closure or for a specific set of uh, iterator combinators or something like that, um, no, that's not something you can do because it it would essentially um, be like trying to implement something on someone else's type. Um, but furthermore, there's um, the RFC specifically blocks the use of infiltrate type alias types from appearing in uh, impl declarations. So, you, so I can't say like uh, type foo equals infiltrate and then impl foo um, because that has sort of weird interactions with, you know, what, what exactly does that mean? It's not super clear, you know, how to, how to evaluate that. Um, one thing that we are looking at um, that for, which could potentially be an expansion in the future, is a, as a way to encode uh, conditional traits. So a lot of the things, if you're working with iterator combinators or futures, you'll often see things like um, they'll, they'll return types that impl clone if the argument you pass to the function impl to clone. Uh, or they'll impl, you know, static if the types that, or impl send if the type that you passed impl send. Um, so that's not something that you can do right now with impl trait because we, we don't have a mechanism for specifying these kinds of conditional traits. Um, so that's something we're looking at expanding this proposal to do in the future. Yeah, th that's a really interesting case. It's why um, a lot of people are like, oh, so when the when the, all the stuff is stable, the standard library will start using it. And as someone who worked on a standard library, no, we'll basically never be able to use this stuff because uh, we do all these conditional impuls, like um, for an example, the result of calling map on an iterator is double-ended if the source iterator is double-ended. It's exact right. size if the source is exact size. And so using infiltrate would strip you of all of these like genuinely useful and important features. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's actually the reason for one of the other uh, proposals which the RFC adds, uh, which is uh, const static and let bindings. So that would allow you to say, 
in a let binding that I have um, a type which implements iterator or some, some other interface and then use it as that type so that I can get those nicer error messages without having to have the standard library make all those code changes. Um, so how has this RFC changed over its lifetime so far? Yeah, so there are a few things that we already touched on a little bit, which is the inference model. Um, so the inference has gotten more conservative over time as the RFC has progressed um, in the hopes that, you know, we will be able to expand it one day if we discover that it that what we've gone with is too conservative. All of these changes are backwards compatible. Um, the other big change was changing um, sort of a, a, a little bit more minutiae, um, specifically constant statics. I had specified, uh, let constant statics actually, I had specified their concrete types to be revealed within a module since you can uh, always determine the concrete type of let constant statics from their declaration uh, or in the case of lets from the, the surrounding function body. Um, but that uh, what that does is that means that uh, infiltrate there has sort of a different meaning than it does in function signatures where returning infiltrate um, will only ever give you an infiltrate type um, while declaring a const or, or static as infiltrate could give you some concrete type if you're in the same module. So that got kind of hairy and it's not clear that there was um, there was really good motivation for that. that um, that difference. So I, I've removed that and so now const and statics and lets always hide their concrete type even within the same module. Although you have, I believe you have a sort of, you can kind of like pseudo assert the type, right? So, so you if you, go on. Yeah, so if you have uh, an infiltrate type declaration where you've said, you know, type foo equals infiltrate rather than just saying infiltrate directly, um, in those cases, you're able to create um, an, an obligation that the, for on the concrete type and say, hey, um, I want to say that this, I, I'm within the same module and I know that this variable that's of type foo equal infiltrate is actually an I32. Um, in those cases, you're able to do this sort of compile time downcasting where you, you claim that it's an I32 and, and you can use that variable as an I32 within the module um, and that's checked at, at type checking time to make sure that you're actually using it in the proper way. Right, so the way that looks is, as an example, let x colon I32 equals something that is only known to be a foo. Right, exactly. And, and that allows a, a lot of what we were discussing before in terms of um, allowing different bits of code within your module um, to all work with this type that's shared but private to your module. So uh, how common do you expect this feature to be? And like, as in, what, what would normal users need to know about this? Um, normal users. <laughs> uh, normal users, well, I, I expect you to become really familiar with this because I think it's going to be a really nice way to work with a lot of these combinator types that are going to become more and more popular as we see the explosion of async libraries and things like generators and async await. Um, and people get more used to writing sort of more functional um, 
functional code in Rust using like lots of closures and things like that. Um, so I think it, it's going to be really prevalent in, in those areas and that you'll see it a lot there. You'll also see it probably recommended in uh, more beginner circles in areas like um, using infiltrate declarations in order to get nicer, uh, nicer error messages. Um, and, and those sorts of use cases. So I, I think that it's going to become really common, uh, possibly as common as interfaces in Java and, uh, and other similar languages. Um, I don't know how true that will turn out to be, but I'm interested to find out. So uh, like what's, what's left before this RFC can go forward? Are there, is there anything in the way of this uh, that's preventing it from being implemented or anything like that? So in terms of what's blocking the RFC from being uh, brought to FCP and merged, well, there's still some ongoing conversation about exactly how the inference system should work. Uh, and that's something that we're making a lot of good progress on. Um, and I think that the conversation around, around all that has been really productive. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased with that. Um, so I think we'll be able to get all that sorted out reasonably soon and taken care of. In terms of implementation, um, the the implementation of the type alias is actually pretty straightforward. Uh, it's actually been implemented in the past, uh, a couple of years ago by uh, Eddie B. Uh, so it, bringing it back, it's just a matter of, you know, sort of bringing it back in, and reworking it to deal with the, the updated compiler structure, um, and then also adding the bit uh, for module level privacy. So the actual implementation concerns are not super strong. Like it shouldn't take forever. This isn't blocked on, you know, bringing in all the trait system revamp work or anything like that. And I understand this RFC hasn't gotten very many comments and you were hoping for the level of comments that say your external crate RFC has gotten. So what kind of feedback are you looking for from people who might Did you just cast a curse? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. May your RFC have many comments. I, I actually, so this is one RFC that I was hoping for a lot of comments on, and I am pleased and really thankful to all the people who've gone and read through it and given really valuable feedback. Um, so far, I feel like it hasn't gotten enough attention from the community in terms of the specifics of how it works and getting experience with people's different use cases. There's a lot of things around some of the minor like syntax quibbles, like um, uh, in the in previous RFCs there was there were have been debates around whether or not uh, how exactly lifetime should be elided and, and things like that. There's a lot of sort of small like uh, what things that we need to know in order to determine what kind of defaults um, this um, this feature should have. Um, so people reading the RFC, just giving it us an idea of here's how I would use this feature, um, here's the sorts of places I'd expect it to appear, um, this is the sort of code that it makes really easy to write, and maybe here's some other code that I want to write that wouldn't be convenient to write with this RFC. Um, so that sort of feedback is always really valuable to hear. I'm sort of surprised by the lack of doomsday comments about global inference on this RFC. Yeah, in terms of doomsday comments, uh, so there there definitely are things where like you can declare um, uh, an infiltrate type alias at top level in your crate, and then it's just determined by um, you know it, it, potentially any function in your crate. I think 
the big mitigating factor for that that's made it a lot more palatable to people is that uh, it is, as I said before, a unidirectional inference. So any type that's determining the type of foo has to already claim inside the body that it knows that the concrete type of foo. So it's not something where one function could specify the type of foo and then another function could use the type of foo in a different way. They, they, both, they both have to sort of anonymously agree on what type foo should have. Wait, are you saying we should implement the compiler in the blockchain? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think that's exactly what I suggested. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> so Aaron Turan was very excited that we were doing this RFC. Do you know why he's so excited about this RFC? Aaron loves Infiltrate. He's worked really hard on Infiltrate. <laughs> it's... it's it's kind of his baby. I think actually the first Infiltrate RFC might have been his first RFC. No, he's done. Somebody can correct me on that. Maybe no. maybe that's not true. Did I make that up? <laughs> no, he's done pre 1.0 RFCs. No, but I think I think one of them was related to this. But I, I could be wrong. Feel free to correct me. We can go back and edit the show if I turn out. <laughs> um, I know one of the earliest RFCs was uh, him and I working on. Uh, collections reform, which started the nightmare trend of reform RFCs. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'm mistaken. I'll, I'll have to go back and check. But uh, he's had several um, RFCs on Infiltrate that have gotten a lot of really good comments and a lot of really good feedback. Uh, and he's worked really, really hard to respond to those constructively and positively and, and get Infiltrate to a place where everybody agrees on it. Um, and is ready to move forward. Or rather, like, not everybody agrees on it, but at least there's some consensus about how to move forward. There have been a number of really contentious things uh, along the way about whether to use Infiltrate in um, argument position or whether to allow have it have the same syntax in argument position and return position or how, as I mentioned before, how lifetime should be elided and exactly what behaviors that should have. Um, there have been a lot, a lot, a lot of issues um, that have been resolved over years, literally, uh, as to how Infiltrate should work. Um, and I think both of us are really, really excited to see this move forward and become something that is ready for people to use in Rust. Tell you're totally right. Uh, RFC 105 opened on June 3rd, 2014 by Aaron, add unboxed abstract return types. Jeez, and okay, like you win. His first, his first comment is, for what it's worth, I feel somewhat uneasy about the infiltrate syntax proposed here. Bike shedding, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and was there ever bike shedding? <laughs> I am uh, legitimately, anyone? I am legitimately like surprised that we've gotten this far with infiltrate. Like it was always like, oh yeah, this is just straw man. Oh yeah, this is yeah. just straw man. And it's like, oh no, this is it. Yeah, I, I think I joined the conversation a lot after you did, um, but I, I've always had sort of a similar feeling of that this was just kind of a stand-in. However, I think that it does really, it has a lot of things that are really positive about it, is that it really um, clearly conveys what's happening. So you know, like, hey, I have something that impulse iterator. It says impl iterator. I think that's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's also pretty easy to Google for. Uh, my, yeah, my only objection so, to it is it's, like, very ambiguous with, oh, implement a trait. <laughs> like, the actual yeah. block. Yeah, like, actually writing a trait implementation. Yeah. yeah. 
the only alternate syntax that has really like ever gained traction for this is that you start using their trait for this and then change box traits to be like din traits for trait objects. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's, that's the Rust 2.0 magic. So there's there's potential ideas there around epochs and and whether or not we want to to do some sort of bare trait versus dyn trait for trait objects. Um, there was also a syntax that got really popular that I was actually a fan of for a while, which is I think uh, without boats proposed, which is uh, some and any. So you would return some iterator rather than impl iterator. Um, and the the reason that this was nice is because uh, it made a distinction between um, existentials, which are uh, the thing that, where you say I return some type implementing iterator, um, and universals, which is where you say I will accept any type implementing iterator. So in argument position, you would say, you know, X is any iterator, and I return some iterator, which is kind of has a nice pedagogical feeling to it. Uh, in practice, it turned out that uh, most people agreed that the the sort of default behavior of having argument position be variant while return position is this this invariant type um, was uh, the easiest for most people to comprehend and the easiest to explain. Um, you also don't lose any expressivity by by um, uh, by changing the syntax to just impl and impl um, because you can always write out generics manually to express the, the universals case, the any case. I still think we should go back to Rust Roots and use uh, tilde. <laughs> I wasn't, I never used Rust when it was a sigil language. I, I It was literally I'm what brought me to the that. language. And then it was gone like the moment I started trying to use it. I, I, awesome. You would try to take, you would try to create a dynamically allocated string, like capital string, and instead you'd get a dynamically allocated pointer to a statically allocated string, and the types would be awesome, and you'd have like sigils all over your screen, and it was just awesome, and of course nobody got anything done. But it didn't matter anyway, because the compiler would ICE every five minutes, so like, you never got to that stage where you're worrying about getting things done. Yeah, man, we, we used to not have Vec, it was Tilde Slice. It was magic. All right, now that we're getting into nostalgia for pre-Rono days, uh, <laughs> it seems like we're, we're ready to wrap up. Does anyone have any closing questions? Okay, well, uh, Taylor, thank you for being on the show. And listeners, if you would like to request an RFC for us to talk about, uh, please go file an issue, and you can get to our repo by going to is.gd slash rfepodcasts, all one word. Thanks. <laughs>